Welcome back to Bible Time. This is 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17. Three words today, pray without ceasing. So let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would teach us to pray. Lord, that you would renew and revive my prayer life and use this, Father, to renew and revive the prayers of your saints. Father God, encourage us in prayer. Strengthen us in prayer. Help us, Lord God, to obey this command. Lord, you did not put it in the Bible, Lord, as a curiosity, as something just to read, Lord, but as something you expect us to obey. And I pray, Lord God, that you would give us the desire and the power to obey this command in Jesus' name. Amen. Here it says, pray without ceasing. This is coming on the heels of rejoice evermore. It's going to be followed with the commandment in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. This is written to a church that was a embattled church, a persecuted church a small church, and the command here is given to pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray without stopping. Let's look. Let's just take a quick survey um, through some Old Testament and then into the New Testament examples of prayer in the Bible so we can kind of get a good grasp of what the Bible's talking about when it says prayer. Go to Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26. Here we'll find the first time that people are mentioned to pray. In the Bible, of course, Adam spoke with God. (coughs) Pray for me, for my voice and my throat. I would appreciate it. But most of all, that I would um, walk with God. Um, Here in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 26, it says that um, Adam's son Seth, to him also there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. And this is the first description of men's um, prayers as something other than just plain old conversation. Whenever God made Adam in the Garden of Eden, the Bible says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. The voice of the Lord walked in the garden in the cool of the day. And that Adam and his wife hid themselves from the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. That Adam and his wife were accustomed to speaking to God. God begins the Bible speaking. God ends the Bible speaking. You find over and over and over again, and God said, and God said in Genesis chapter 1. You find God blessing man in Genesis chapter 1. It's not until Genesis chapter 2 that man begins to speak back to God. There in chapter 2, God formed, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, that's verse 7, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. (coughs) Distinct from every other creature, distinct from every bug, distinct from every fish. God said for the water to bring forth the fowl and the fish. It says in chapter 1 and verse 20, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. You find the earth bringing forth living creatures in verse 24. But in chapter 2 and verse 7, God forms man of the dust of the ground. God did not command the water to bring forth man. He did not command the earth to bring forth man. God got personally hands-on involved, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. 
This divine imparting of life to man beyond that of the spoken word, but into the very breath of God into man is what God has given man that enables man to pray to God. The Bible says that all of creation groans and travails with pain, waiting to see the redemption of the creature, waiting on God to restore this earth back to what it once was. All of creation groans and travails. There's a praise and worship song that came out a number of years ago. I don't go in for that stuff. I'm sorry if you do. Um, some of it can be decent, but most of it's just a bunch of hollow trash. And and they describe it their own way. This way, they say, I wish I could... Um, I, I can't even remember it right now, and that's okay. But he says basically that he wishes he could be like an autumn leaf. He wishes he could be like the wind that's blowing. He wishes he could be like the creation in effort to praise you, in effort to praise you. And that's basically the whole um, bent of the song, wishing he could be like the animals, wishing he could be like the trees and the grass so that he could praise God better. That is a false Buddhistic idea. That idea comes from Eastern mysticism. It comes from paganism. God created man in his own image and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And man has the ability to speak because of the breath of God in him. Man doesn't just bark. Man doesn't whine. Man doesn't make noises that can just mimic other things. God gave man creative ability. The can make words. A parrot can squawk out words, but man can generate thought and say things from his own heart, and the parrot cannot. The parrot cannot express feeling. The parrot cannot express express praise. A parrot that is trained, a big green and blue parrot, can say things like, Polly, want a cracker? It can say phrases, whole phrases, and it can mimic them to such a degree of perfection that you can almost think that there's a person standing there talking when the parrot is saying what somebody else said, but the parrot has no ability to communicate with a soul. The parrot does not have an everlasting soul. And God here created man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God gave man a wife, and he formed that wife again, He did not command the man to form the wife. He did not command the earth to bring forth the wife. He did not command the waters to bring forth the wife. He took a rib of the man and created that man or that woman for the man, brought her unto the man. Adam named that woman, and it says, Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and they shall cleave unto his wife, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so you have man and woman and their ability to think and communicate and to speak. Chapter 3, we find the serpent speaking to the woman. But this serpent we can find from other places in the Word of God, like Revelation twelve nine and Revelation 22, that this serpent was embodied by the devil, a spiritual being. And here the serpent was subtle, and that's the devil working through the serpent. And the devil um, here deceived the woman. She gave to her husband with her. He did eat. And we find the first conversation between God and man in the Bible here in verse 8 of chapter 3, where man hides himself from God in the garden amongst the trees of the garden. And God called unto Adam and said unto him. So the first time we find a conversation between man and God, God is calling out man. Man is in sin. Man is hiding from 
from God. Communion is broken with God. Fellowship is broken with God. Communication is broken down with God. And man is hiding from God, trying to ignore God, trying to pretend like God doesn't exist. He's trying to go his own way. He sewed himself fig leaves together and hiding himself in the trees, amongst the trees of the garden. And God calls out man, and Adam answered, because I was afraid I was hiding. So there God judges man and drives man out of the garden. And chapter 4 comes in, and here Adam speaks. I have gotten a man from the Lord, Eve says. Adam speaks as well down throughout this, um, these And actually, I'm not sure it does know Adam speaking there. Eve speaks again. You notice Adam doesn't talk much in the in Genesis chapters one through four. It's mostly Eve. Almost every word you have from the first family comes out of Eve's mouth. And boy, did they get in trouble. I wonder if there's a connection there. But that's not our message today. So we're going to move on. In any case here, um, she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. I have gotten a man from the Lord. The next thing that we find is Cain sinning against God and the Lord going after Cain and addressing Cain. And Cain isn't really talking to God. Cain is bringing his religion to God. Cain is bringing his fruit from the ground to God, but he's not really communing with God. He's not calling on God. Instead, God has to call out Cain. And then Cain goes and sins even further. And verse 9, the Lord said unto Cain, where is Abel thy brother? And this whole conversation between Cain and Abel is instigated by God to Cain who has sinned against God. We find then that Lamech, an offspring of Cain, sins and kills a man. And instead of crying out to God, instead of talking to God, Lamech tries to invoke the power of God. And he says in verse 24, if Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, truly Lamech seventy and sevenfold. (coughs) So he tries to invoke the curse of God that God had placed on those that would kill Cain. He tries to invoke the protection of God, but instead of turning to God, he turns to his own mind. He speaks with his own mouth as if he has the authority to grant this to himself. And in his pride and in his self-righteousness, he does not go to God. Instead, he looks inward. He looks to himself. He looks to his own heart. He looks to his own ideas. He looks to his own opinions. He looks to what he's heard Cain tell of what God had said to Cain. And instead of going to God, he goes to himself and to his own heart. Here, Adam knew his wife again, and we find Eve speaking again. It says here, Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son and called his name Seth. For God said, she hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. And to Seth, to him also, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. Here is a direct shift that has happened. Here, men have decided that they needed God. Here are some men that decided that they needed to get close to God. They recognized that they were separated from God. They recognized without God having to go call them out that they needed God and they began to call upon God. It's interesting that this man's name is Enos and at the birth of this grandson of Adam, Enos, then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. At this point, men began to call upon the name of the Lord. I wonder if Adam finally here, it maybe it dawned on Adam here that he could call upon the name of the Lord. Before this, Adam seemed to wait on God 
God to call on him. Now Adam, perhaps, and the other men here on the face of the earth are beginning to call upon the name of the Lord. Go to Genesis chapter 13. And verse four, prayer began. Prayer is not something that um, we will do in heaven. Prayer is not something that you will do when you're standing in the presence of the Almighty. Prayer is not something that Adam learned from God initially in the Garden of Eden because Adam walked with God and had close communion and fellowship with God. Prayer is like a Band-Aid. Prayer is something that is, is, is evidence of our broken, fallen nature. Prayer is evidence of our need. Prayer is evidence of our inability to get to God and please God in our own strength. And this is why so few people pray, because prayer is humbling in its very essence. In the very inception of prayer, we find the, de- the desperate depravity and need of men that Cain has slow has has. Cain went out and slew his brother Abel. And then Lamech went out and killed a man and violence was beginning to spread over the face of the earth. And in this time of depravity with sin mounting and increasing on every hand, men began to cry cry out to God and to pray to God. So prayer is evidence of our great need. Prayer is not evidence of great spirituality. Prayer is evidence of great need. I'm always amazed whenever I meet people who seem to idolize people who pray well. People who pray well are people who are in great need. When you meet a great prayer, you meet someone who is desperately needy. You meet somebody who has not learned to stand on their own two feet. You meet somebody who is broken. You meet somebody who is contrite. You meet somebody who is admitting to the whole world as they cry out to God that they have a desperate need. It's a, it's an amazing thing in some circles. I've been in some circles where men will stand praying as if it, as if they should be looked up to because they can pray so well. When in reality, anyone who truly does pray well is evidencing their great depravity, their great sinfulness, the great carnality of their nature, and their great desperation for God to be involved in their life. Here, let's look at Genesis 13, 4. Here we find Abraham, the father of faith, as the New Testament calls him. And in chapter 13 and verse 4, it says that he made an altar, um, where he made an altar there at first, and there Abraham called on the name of the Lord. Abraham was a man of prayer. You can look at Abraham's life and find that Abraham would lie about his wife. Abraham was a liar. We can find that Abraham, when his wife was barren, listened to the bad counsel of his wife and went into another woman and committed adultery according to the custom of the people of the land against to the desire of God and the purpose of God and the creative design of God that there should be one man and one woman who are married and the man leaves his father and mother and cleaves unto his wife and they too shall become one flesh as we read earlier and and here Abraham left the creative design of God and went into another woman who was not his wife and had a child by that woman and tried to fulfill God's will through a sinful act and yet we find that Abraham is called the father of faith in the word of God and that Abraham called 
called upon God. It was not Abraham's holiness. It was not Abraham's righteousness. It was not Abraham's spirituality that drove him to call upon God. In fact, it was exactly the opposite. So many people think of a great prayer as someone who is greatly spiritual, but the reality is that a great prayer is someone who is greatly destitute of spirituality and recognizes their great need and their bankruptcy before God. And so they go and pray and they pray often and they pray hard and they pray fervently because of their great bankruptcy. The greatest prayers in the Bible are those that prayed in the times of greatest need and their prayers echo through the pages of scripture as great cries from desperate voices crying out to a father in heaven begging God for help. Go to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. There's a little sign on the back of the prayer room door at the church where we attend and it says if you only pray when you're in trouble you says something to the effect you are in trouble Does somebody remember that here today what does it say there i don't remember it exactly if you only pray when you're in trouble then you're probably in trouble already is the basic idea of it but i want to tell you today and i want to submit to you today that we are in trouble. And it's those that recognize that they are in trouble that pray. And it is because we are in trouble that we are pray. You can read Psalm 107. The wisdom of God is that he sends tribulation and trial and trouble into the hearts and lives of men so that they will call upon the name of the Lord. A man would not naturally extend himself to go and talk to a great sovereign ruler. If a great king came to town fearful in his majesty, known for his justice, known for for exacting judgment on sinners and known for having mercy on those that needed mercy. If you didn't have a reason to seek mercy, you probably wouldn't go to see the king because you would be afraid that he might exact justice on you. And so it is with God. Men do not naturally come to God because God is holy and man is unholy. God is high and man is low. God is above us. We are beneath him and God is great and we are not great. God is holy and we are sinful so we naturally like Adam hide in the trees of the forest and do not approach unto God that's the natural state of our heart it is only when we see our trouble it is only when we see our great need that we begin to turn towards God and call upon the name of the Lord Genesis 25 and verse 21 the promise had been given to Isaac and yet Isaac's wife was barren and it says in chapter 25 and verse 21 that Isaac the son of Abraham entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren and the Lord was entreated of him and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. We find that Rebekah, in verse 22, found the children struggling in her womb, and she went and inquired of the Lord. And in verse 23, the Lord answered her and told her, Two nations are in thy womb, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other people, and the elders shall serve the younger. Jacob vowed a vow to God in Genesis chapter 29 and verse 20. Jacob the supplanter, Jacob the deceiver, Jacob Jacob, who was a strong man, Jacob, who was a wily man, who was a subtle man, Jacob, who knew how to do business, who knew how to get his own way, Juke, Jacob found himself all alone, sleeping there at the place he would call Bethel that was called Luz at the first. And Jacob there at Bethel saw a vision of angels descending and ascending and descending upon these these um, this ladder to heaven, basically. It doesn't call it a ladder. You can go there. Genesis 29 and verse 20. 
which I have the wrong text. That's why I'm struggling to find it here. Let me just back it up and find it. Verse 12 of 28, it says, He dreamed, and behold, a ladder. There it is. It does call it a ladder. Genesis 28 and verse 12. And there this ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending upon it. God instigated this with Jacob, who didn't feel he really needed God. Jacob vowed a vow in verse 20 to God. And then we find Jacob going through a long process of God breaking down Jacob until Jacob became humbled enough that in Genesis 32 and verse 9, we finally find Jacob in his desperation calling upon God. You can read Jacob's prayer there before God. He calls out and he says in verse 10, I am not the worthy of the least of all the mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me now, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children." And here he quotes the word of God, and thou saidst, I will surely, surely do thee good and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. In Genesis 32, 24, we find Jacob wrestling with God until the break of the day, wrestling with the angel of the Lord. And here he says, bless me. I will not let thee go except thou bless me. And this great passage has been preached on by many preachers down throughout the, year, the years, showing us what it means to prevail in prayer with God not just to come to God with a cheap little statement, with a little repeated, repetitious, liturgical um, statement that you've made a thousand times, but to come to God and wrestle in your soul with God and to prevail with God. Here we find prayer in its basic state. We find prayer in its inception before it has had time to grow into a high religious art, before it's had time to grow into something that men stand in high pulpits and repeat long flowery words with great eloquence, supposedly praying to God, and people sit down wiping an occasional tear with a hanky and sitting in awe of the man who knows how to speak in such heavenly terms. This is before prayer became some kind of other language that you have to go to a seminar to learn how to do, where you talk in some kind of um, utterable groans that are some kind of weird, ununderstandable language. This is back whenever men actually needed God. This is back when men needed to get a hold of God, when they were desperate and they called out to God and they cried out to God and they said things that they wouldn't have said under any other circumstances and men prayed and men prevailed with God. In Genesis chapter 35, Jacob sets up an altar at Bethel and you find him there again calling upon the Lord, though it does not mention his prayers at that time. Go to Exodus chapter 2 and we'll look at the nation of Israel. Here is a national prayer instead of an individual prayer. Here's a a place where a whole people group is under bondage. And in their bondage, they cry to God. Chapter 2 and verse 23. And it came to pass in process of time that the king of Egypt died and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God had respect to them. Now God would deal with Moses 
in chapter 3 and verse number 6, we find uh, Moses here being spoken to by God. God said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. We find that that Moses had taken the shoes off of his feet there in verse 5, and he's there before God, crouching, is it? Maybe kneeling, I don't know. But there is Moses with the shoes removed from his feet, and his face covered as he speaks to God praying to God. And the book of Exodus is almost entirely an account of the prayers of Moses. Over and over and over and over again, Moses will pray to God and have whole conversations with God throughout the book of Exodus. Indeed, the Bible is a book of prayer. We have the book of prayer that was put out years ago by a bunch of Protestants. Catholics put out books of prayer. Different groups put out books of prayer. Buddhists put out books of prayer. The Bible is is the book of prayer. The Bible starts with prayer and the Bible ends with prayer. The final words of the Bible being, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus, the apostle John praying to Jesus Christ to come and to return. You don't need man's books of prayer. You don't need all this liturgical mess. All you need today is to get your Bible and get back to the Bible. We're looking at pray without ceasing and we're looking at how men prayed down throughout the ages in Exodus chapter chapter 8 and verse 12, Pharaoh has asked Moses to pray and he said, pray tomorrow. And Moses here says, the frogs shall depart from thee and from thy houses and from thy servants. In verse 12, Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried unto the Lord because of the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. Verse 10 and 11 there being Pharaoh speaking to Moses, which isn't how I was starting there to, to explain it. But then verse 12, Moses and Aaron go out and they pray. Verse 13, and the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the villages, and out of the fields. In every instance in the word of God where you find men truly praying to God, you find God truly answering men in every instance. There is not a place in the Bible, there's not an account in the Bible of prayer that we cannot say was answered by God. If the answer isn't recorded, the results of it later having been answered are evidenced later in the Bible. I think of old Zechariah in the book of Luke standing there in the temple and the angel appears to Zechariah and says, Zechariah, thy prayer is heard. Heard a message on that once, a great message on that. When did Zechariah pray that prayer? Zechariah must have prayed that prayer years ago because when the angel told him his prayer was answered, Zechariah had already lost faith that that prayer would ever be answered. Zechariah had prayed, prayed a prayer of faith years and years and years before, but as the years went by and his wife was still barren and it looked more and more impossible for him to ever have a child. He eventually gave up apparently on the answer to the prayer and resolved himself to an unanswered prayer. And there he is ministering in the temple in unbelief and faithlessness, doing the work of God in a cold, dead, half backslidden state. And the angel of the Lord appears to Zechariah and says, thy prayer is heard. God answers prayer. God answers the prayers of people when they pray. 
Praise His holy name that He does. Here in Exodus chapter 8 and verse 30, we find that Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord again about the swarms of flies. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from His servants, and from His people. There remained not one. We find in Exodus 9 and verse 29 that Moses here, he says, um, the Pharaoh says, entreat the Lord, 29, and Moses said unto him, as soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's. So we find Moses here stretching forth his hands in prayer. What a change in attitude. What a change in posture from where he was couching there before the burning bush with his sandals unloosed and with his face covered to now standing outside the city of Pharaoh with his hands raised before God, calling upon God to cause the thunder to cease. And God answered that prayer. From here on, prayer continues as a common theme throughout the whole Bible. Moses' discussions with God make up the bulk of the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible um, here given by Moses are the Pentateuch. And and from Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the bulk of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers have to do with God and Moses talking and having conversation. And it has little bits of the story interspersed throughout. But the bulk of the story is the prayer of Moses and the answer of God. Throughout Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers, the book of Deuteronomy, Moses' great exhortation to the children of Israel. He exhorts them to seek the Lord, to know the Lord. And he prays the the great prayer of Moses there. And he references over and over again how he fell on his face and fasted 40 days and 40 nights and ate no bread and drank no water, which is utterly humanly impossible to do. And he did it there not just once, but at least twice. He went before God back to back, 40 day fasts, no food, no water, and fell on his face before God, interceding to God for his people. In these books of the Bible, we find Moses praying in the tabernacle. We find him praying in public before wicked people. We find him praying with the elders. We find him praying on his face whenever the people have committed whoredoms and are going in to the women of the Moabites, if I remember the nation, the Midianites there. And then you find him again praying on Mount Sinai. You find him praying in private. You find him praying in public. When you leave the Pentateuch and enter into the book of Joshua, you find Joshua rising early in the morning over and over and over to meet with God. We find Joshua falling on his face to worship the angel of the Lord who is none other than Jesus Christ in a pre-incarnation appearance to Joshua and he's worshiping the Lord on his face with his shoes removed there before God and Joshua again a different posture still yet. We find Joshua um, falling on his face with the elders in public before the whole nation of Israel in a public place and crying out to God at the defeat of Ai. We find Joshua in his chariot with his arm outstretched in public before all men standing in public and praying, sun stand thou still and moon. And he commanded the sun and the moon to stand still and God heard his prayer and stopped the sun and stopped the moon and destroyed the armies that came against Israel. We find that prayer in the Bible comes in all kinds 
kinds of attitudes, all kinds of positions, all kinds of postures, all kinds of presentations. But we find that prayer in the Bible always comes from the penitent, for it comes from the repentant. It comes from the broken. It comes from the contrite. It comes from the needy. It comes from the sinner that needs to be saved. It comes from the saved who needs power to teach the other sinners about Christ. But prayer always comes from the humble heart to the holy God. And prayer that comes from the holy heart, uh, from the humble heart made holy by God to a holy God in heaven is prayer that God always answers time and time and time again. We can look at Judges. The book of Judges abounds with prayer. The book of Judges has sin after sin, followed by prayer after prayer, followed by sin after sin, followed by prayer after prayer. And every time God's people got humble before God and sought God with all their hearts, God heard from heaven and God healed their land and God answered their prayers. We find Jephthah praying. We find Gideon praying. We find some men praying short little prayers. We find Gideon wrestling with God, going back to God over and over and over again as he sought God for the answer to his heart's great cry and his heart's need. We find men and judges who prayed were sinful men. We find that often, even after their great victories and after they prayed and God moved mightily, that later they would sin again like Gideon with the ephod that became a snare to the people of Israel. So we find that great prayers are often great sinners. That great prayers are great sinners who God gives a great salvation, who turn to their great God in their time of great need and God hears with great deliverance. But that just because somebody prays great doesn't mean they're a great person, but that rather they have a great God and that their great God answers their great prayers in their times of great need. And we find that prayer is about God and not about man. That prayer is about a needy man reaching out to a powerful God who can hear the prayers of his people and does hear and will hear. And that it's not about you being sinless and perfect, but it's about you getting right with God and seeking God with all your heart. And when you cry to God and seek God and pray to God, God hears your prayers. We find that prayer does not make a man sinless. Prayer does not sanctify a man. You can pray till you're blue in the face and turn around like Gideon and sin with the ephod. You can pray like Samson while you're there dying of thirst with the jawbone of an ass. And God hear that prayer and give you great deliverance. And you can turn around and be found in the lap of Delilah just another chapter later. Prayer doesn't make you sinless. But that prayer, while you're praying, while you're seeking God, while you're walking with God, you find that you've got power with God. You've got an ability to get through to God. You find that you've got power over the flesh. You find that you can overcome temptation when you continue in prayer. And this is why the apostle tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, pray without ceasing because prayer is what keeps us in communion with God and God is who keeps us from sin. God is who hears our prayers. God is who sends deliverance. God is who saves the lost man. God is who who gives power to the preacher to preach. God is who heals the sick. God is the one that answers the prayers. And your connection to God is maintained through your prayers to God. Therefore, God says in the holy word of God, pray without ceasing. 
First Samuel introduces us to David. David, the man after God's own heart. David, whose prayers occupy an entire book of the Bible. The book with the most chapters of any book in the Bible. Psalms with its 150 chapters. Most of them written by David. Many of them written by David. Almost all of them written as prayers for help or prayers for praise. Some of them written as prayers of prophecy. But by and large, cries of a heart of a man seeking after God. He said, my faith, thy face, Lord, will I seek? He said, with my whole heart have I sought thee. And David sought God in his prayers. We find as we study David through 1 Samuel and we look at him in 2 Samuel that David is a no good, dirty, rotten sinner. That David fails of faith. That David has doubts. David has fears. David has shortcomings. David has backslidings. David has grieving sins. David has sins that would get him removed from a pastorate in a church house. But yet David is called a man after God's own heart because in Psalm 50, 51, I believe it is, he says, have mercy on me, O God, according to thy loving kindness. And David's prayers and David's communion with God are what set David apart from all the other men in the Bible. That David, though he was a sinner, went back to God time after time after time after time and prayed to God and talked to God and communed with God. He repented of his sins. He interceded for his country. He prayed for his family. He asked God for help when he needed help. He asked God for wisdom when he needed wisdom. And David's communion with God is what made David great. The kings prayed. If you go through the books of the kings, if you go through Chronicles, the kings you'll find some of them praying and the ones that prayed you'll find God answering their prayers in the books of the kings we'll find the prophets you find Elijah that great man of God that great man of prayer that nobody in their right mind would support in a mission board in modern America today how about that what have you been doing this month Elijah I've been sitting down by the brook Cherith I've been praying and the ravens have been bringing me bread and flesh in the morning and bread in the flesh in the evening. What are you going to do next, Elijah? I'm going to pray some more. When are you going to go out and preach, Elijah? Not till God gives me the power. How long that's going to take, Elijah? I don't know how long that's going to take. The brook's drying up and I'm still praying. They say, we can't keep supporting you, Elijah. He says, that's all right. God sent me a widow woman in Zarephath. And he went up there to the widow woman. And what did he do with the widow woman? We find Elijah praying. There he is praying. And for three years, Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. Elijah prayed. Elijah didn't go out and preach. Elijah didn't go out and give tracks out. Elijah didn't go out and do drama. Elijah didn't do song and dance. Elijah didn't have revival meetings. Elijah prayed. And he prayed. And he prayed. And at the end of three years, Elijah stood up on Mount Carmel. And we find a short little prayer from Elijah up there on Mount Carmel. 63 little words. At the culmination, the condensation of three years of secret prayer. And Elijah standing there on Mount Carmel called down fire from heaven and the fire fell and burnt up the sacrifice and it burnt up the water and the prophets of Baal were all grabbed and taken down the hill and there Elijah got a sword and killed them all with the sword and Elijah's prayers are what gave Elijah power. 
We find intercessory prayers like we find Moses doing in Exodus 32 when the people had sinned with the golden calf and God was ready to wipe them all out. And instead of wiping out those people, God had mercy on them because Moses prayed. You find Ezra praying in Ezra chapter 9. You can write that one down to study. Ezra chapter 9, one of the greatest intercessory prayers in the whole Bible as Ezra turns his people back to God in a public prayer. We find prayers for national repentance. We find one of those in Nehemiah chapter 9, one of the greatest in the Bible. We find Daniel chapter 9, Daniel praying an intercessory prayer of national repentance in Daniel chapter 9. We find public evangelistic prayers like Elijah at Mount Carmel. We find Christ at Lazarus's tomb. Go there to um, John chapter 11 real quick. Christ at Lazarus's tomb prayed. Christ prayed not because he needed prayer, but because other people needed prayer. There's a time to pray so other people hear you praying. We're going to get to Matthew 6 in just a minute for those of you that think that that's heresy, and we're going to read that. But um, here in John chapter 11, as Elijah had done at Mount Carmel, here Jesus Christ at the tomb of Lazarus here. If I didn't write down the verse, let me find it here. 41. Here Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that thou hast sent me. And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And we find the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead preceded by a public evangelistic prayer by Christ. If prayer was liturgy which means reading prepared responsive readings if prayer was liturgy it would be impossible to pray without ceasing if prayer was counting beads it would be impossible to pray without ceasing if prayer was required as an exact posture, you have to kneel, you have to tap your head on the floor, you have to bend over backwards, you have to crawl up steps. If prayer had an exact posture that was required in it, it would be impossible to pray without ceasing. If prayer required you to wear certain clothing, it would be impossible to pray without ceasing. The Bible says that a man that prays with his head covered dishonors his head. You should take your hat off when you pray. That's right. And it's the right thing to do. But if prayer required every time that you pray with your hat on, then you would not be able to pray without ceasing, which means there's more than one type of prayer. There's public prayer where you're standing up before men, in which case you're told that a man praying with his head covered dishonors his head. But there's private prayer that must be done sometimes when your head is covered, when you have no choice but to have your head covered. Prayer is bigger than the hat you're wearing. Prayer is bigger than a head covering. Prayer is bigger than your posture, your kneeling, your standing, your sitting. Prayer is bigger than something that you read out of a prayer book. Prayer is bigger than just a repetition of predefined prayers with a bunch of beads. In the Bible, some people prayed, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And God answered. But some people prayed like Simeon in Luke chapter two. Let's look at that prayer real, real quick. It's not 
not very long, but it's very beautiful and very eloquent. Some people think that if a man prays eloquently, he's sinning. Other people think if a man cries out, help Lord, like Peter, he's sinning. Don't get caught in a rut. The Bible says pray without ceasing. The point is communion with God. How is your prayer life today? How is your communion with God? Here in Luke chapter 2 and verse 29, Lord, Simeon says, Lord, now let us thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. Another great intercessory public prayer that was done, though it was not openly public, it was done within the confines of the 11 faithful disciples, is Jesus Christ on his way to Gethsemane praying in John chapter 17, verse 1 through verse 26, is nothing but a prayer of Jesus Christ for us, his people. Go to Matthew chapter 6. One of the most beautiful of all prayers there is John chapter 17. On your way to Matthew 6, Jesus prayed there in John 17 for us, and he prayed with eloquence. He prayed with beauty. He prayed a well-thought-out prayer. He prayed a well-laid-out prayer. It's not a sin to think through what you're going to pray, and it's not a sin to pray something that makes enough sense that other people can pray with you. It's not a sin to pray quietly. Oh, Hannah, in the Old Testament, she prayed with all her heart, but her lips were the only thing that moved and nothing else moved. The Bible says the Holy Spirit maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. By the way, if you make any sound, you uttered it. That's what it means to utter something. That's not talking about a prayer language. That's talking about the Holy Spirit praying things that you cannot even make a noise to comprehend. You can't even make a noise to express, but the Holy Spirit is praying with groanings that are not humanly capable of passing through the vocal cords of the human voice. It's beyond earthly, and God alone is the one that can pray in that matter. Matthew 6 and verse 5, and when thou prayest, thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogue. Some people say you can't pray standing. I think we've about shot that to death. I think we've about killed that looking through the Bible. It has nothing to do with the standing. It has to do with the hypocrite that's standing. The letter killeth, but the spirit giveth life. They love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets that they may be seen of men. There's your key right there. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. People will apply this to long prayers as well. It's a good thing to pray long. There were times in the Bible that Daniel prayed 21 days straight. Moses prayed 40 days straight. There's times and there's places for everything. Rightly divide the word of truth. It says in verse 6, But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father, which is in secret, and thy Father, which seeth in secret, shall reward thee openly. This secret prayer commanded by Christ is the foundation and the bedrock from which all other prayer springs. The man who prays long on the corner must have necessarily prayed long in secret in order to have earned the right to pray long at that corner or he'll be a hypocrite.
The, the prayer of private cannot be done without ceasing. If you enter into your closet and shut the door and pray without ceasing, you'll last a few days and die of thirst, and that'll be the end of you. That's not what God means when he says pray without ceasing. There are many modes of prayer, many attitudes of prayer, many positions and postures of prayer, but the purpose of prayer, communion with God, can be maintained 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is what Paul is commanding us to do to walk with God as Enoch walked with God in the Bible there in the book of Genesis as Noah walked with God in the book of Genesis in Genesis chapter 6 and many others that walked with God as Job walked with God in the Bible a perfect man the Bible says how could he be a perfect man this is how sinless perfection is not reaching a state where I no longer sin sinless perfection is praying without ceasing so that when I sin, I'm immediately getting it right with God and I'm walking in constant communion and fellowship and obedience to God as he leads me through this life in spite of my depraved flesh and in such a state of praying without ceasing, a man enters into godly, sinless perfection, not a state where the flesh has been made sinless and without the capability of sinning, but a state where the flesh has been brought into subjection to the spirit and is now praying without without ceasing and the flesh is longing after God you say the flesh can't long after God David's flesh longed after God in the Old Testament before anybody had ever been filled with the Holy Spirit of God as far as we can possibly tell David said in the Bible oh God thou art my God early will I seek thee my soul thirsteth for thee my flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is God's not reforming the flesh God's not renovating the flesh, but God will sanctify the flesh and prayer without ceasing. Prayer in the spirit, being filled with the spirit, walking in the spirit is the life that God will sanctify and that is only attainable by God's sanctifying power. Now that life that is close close with God will spend long amounts of time, long hours in the closet alone with God. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Notice that the secret prayer precedes the public prayer. Notice that the public prayer is validated by the secret prayer. They who kneel before God will stand before men. A preacher once said, my preacher once said in North Carolina when I was living there, here the word of God here says that if you will pray in secret, God will reward you openly. That means that you will stand before men. That means that your spirituality will be observable. Some people use this to say that the Christian spirituality should be put under a bushel as a candle put under the table, under a bushel, hidden from man, hidden from all sight of man, and that you should live in a way that is incognito to this world, and God never designed you to do that. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify their, your Father which is in heaven. But this is the key to your light shining, is spending much time with God alone in prayer. In Matthew 6 here in verse 7, he says, But when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. God says in Proverbs, the prayer of the wicked man is an abomination to God. We're not to pray as the heathen pray. Our prayers are to be communicated 
communion with God. Our prayers are to be a, a result of deep fellowship with God. Our prayers are to be the cry of a child to a father. Our prayers are to be a close walk with God. Christ prayed often. Christ prayed in private. Christ prayed alone on a mountain. Christ prayed with his disciples. Christ blessed the fish and bread before the multitude. Christ prayed publicly, evangelistically, openly, and pointedly with a prayer that was directed to the people that he was um, standing in front of whenever he rose Lazarus from the dead. Prayer is comes in many different modes. Acts chapter 1 and verse 14, they were there together in the upper room praying. But we're going to look at Christ's model prayer before we go any further here. Jesus says in Matthew 6 and verse 8, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. After this manner therefore pray ye, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thy is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Moreover, when ye fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. For they disfigure their faces that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head, wash thy face, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Again, the secret time with God, the secret prayer with God is the foundation and the fountainhead for all public ministry, for all public prayer, for all public preaching. Without prayer, preaching becomes powerless. Without biblical prayer, preaching becomes lifeless. In Acts chapter 1, we find them preaching. And I'll just give you the all through the book of Acts, we find the church praying. Prayer is a common thing throughout the book of Acts. Prayer is commonly commanded, commonly commended, commonly um, encouraged throughout the epistles of the apostles. Prayer is found in the book of Revelation as sweet incense going up to the throne of God. For before which, when God cracks open that incense, all of heaven is silent, the Bible says says, and I forget how long it is. Was it the space of an hour? You can look that up in the book of Revelation. All of, all of heaven goes silent as the sweet incense of the prayers of the saints goes up before God. And we find that these prayers are that which brings in the final judgment of God upon this lost and dying world that has rejected God and rebelled against God and refuses the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is God in the flesh who died and was buried and rose again to save us from our sins. Prayer, biblical prayer, is, is as essential to the new man as breathing is to the old man. Prayer is as essential to the new Adam as the breath of God was to make the living soul out of that human being that was laying in the garden of Eden, freshly formed by God, but utterly lifeless. Prayer is the life breath of the born again Christian. Genesis chapter 5 and verse 25 says, and 
Enoch walked with God. Prayer without ceasing is a condition of constant awareness of God and communion with God. Prayer without ceasing is prayer that happens in the private, but that doesn't stay in the private. Prayer without ceasing begins in the private. Prayer without ceasing continues in the mind and in the heart and in the soul and in the spirit of the believer as he goes about his daily life, as he sweeps the floor, as he turns the wrench at the mechanic shop, as he goes out and builds a house with a hammer and nail, as he sits at the desk doing accounting work, prayer, constant communion, awareness of God is able to continue as he goes to his lunch break and as he's eating his food, not just will he prays to bless his food publicly, but after he prays publicly to bless his food, the man that is in constant prayer, praying without ceasing, is sitting there eating his food, holding communion with God as he conversates with the people around him, even the lost and dying souls. The preacher is to be praying while he preaches. The evangelist is to be praying while he shares the gospel. The minister who's out at the nursing home tending to the sick should be praying even while they ask that old sick lady what she needs. Will they get a blanket? Will they get some water and bathe that little old man? They should be praying without ceasing. This is God's way. This is the connection that God has given you to maintain between him and you. This is the source of the spirit-filled life is prayer towards God. Now, God must fill with the spirit and God does fill with the spirit. But we find that when God baptized the church and the Holy Spirit of God at the day of Pentecost, that it was not until after the church had been meeting together, tarrying in Jerusalem, watching and waiting in concerted prayer together in a unified prayer together that God poured out his spirit. And over and over again throughout the book of Acts, we find that the power follows the prayer. The productivity follows the prayer. The life of the Christian is a life of prayer. When you're talking to that man about what's wrong with your car, you should be thinking as you talk to that mechanic in your heart, your heart should be praying for that man's soul. And when he begins to talk to you and you find an opening to share the gospel, the Holy Spirit of God within you and your spirit within you will be praying to God when you're walking in the spirit-filled life. Prayer is not designed by God to be a show. It's not designed by God to gain attention. It's not designed by God to be to give you a bunch of accolades of man. But I want to tell you something. I want to tell you it straight. A man who gets with God, a man who gets alone with God, a man who prays without ceasing before long will be held in reputation before men as a man of prayer and his prayer will gain him some attention. But that man who truly walks with God will shun that attention. He will not want to glory in that thing, but rather he will recognize that it is his communion with God that has enabled God to use him and because God is using him men are noticing God's work in his life and he will give all the glory to God and the moment pride begins to raise its ugly head he'll flee to his prayer closet he'll flee to his inner man to that holiest of all where he can pray to God and beg God for mercy and to keep him from the pride that's about to break his holy communion with God we'll see more of that later when we get to the scripture about quench not the spirit 
The only way to pray without ceasing is to be filled with the Spirit. As the Bible says in Ephesians, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The only way to pray without ceasing is to walk in the Spirit. And the only way to walk in the Spirit, as Galatians says, and you shall not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. And the only way to be filled with the Spirit is to continue instant in prayer and pray without ceasing. This high attainment of being anointed by God, being filled with the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, and not for and not fulfilling the lust of the flesh, of having the power of God on your life, having the ability to touch men's hearts with the power of God, with your words and with your prayers and with your actions. This high attainment of the Christian is humbly achieved by much secret prayer alone with God and by continuing instant in prayer throughout the day. The Bible says pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that you would give us uh, fervency in prayer. I pray that you'd give us power in prayer. I pray that you'd give us, Lord God, the ability to continue in prayer. I pray that you would increase our hunger and our thirst for you and for your righteousness. I pray, Lord God, that you would give us a great prayer life. I pray, Lord God, that you would bless us in our prayer closets as we meet alone with you. I pray that your presence would go with us as we leave our prayer closets. I pray that you'd make us a people of prayer. I pray that you would then anoint us as a people of power and I pray Lord God that you would then give us the produce Lord that comes from your power that we've gained through your prayer Father God. God do it in Jesus name. God forgive me for my prayerlessness. God re-anoint me Father with fresh oil and help me to pray before you Lord God like I've never prayed before. Help me to walk with you Lord God. Give me communion with you Lord God. Help my flesh to long after you Lord God. Turn Turn it from the desires for the things of this world and turn it towards you, Lord God. Oh, Lord God, change my heart. Turn us again, oh Lord, and we shall be saved. Help us today. Lord, help us for Christ's sake. Have mercy on us, oh God, and make us a people of prayer, a people of power, and a people of produce, of fruit, Father God, that's brought forth for your glory. And we'll give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for Christ's sake. We ask this. Amen. Yeah.